As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On this week's show, we're gatecrashing a dance rehearsal in one of London's edgiest arts hubs and finding out why women need to be destroyed, how sprites can assist with community cohesion, and how choreographers learn to speak. It's the 4th of July 2014. Happy Independence Day. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey, baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone throw from your front door. silence, near silence, you hear in the background, is the sound of an empty stage. And we're looking down on it from a balcony of a mezzanine floor at Rich Mix in the east end of London, just uh, close to Brick Lane. With me, the choreographer Lydia Fraser-Ward, and I've caught you mid-rehearsal. That's right, you have. You've been rolling around on the floor all day. All, well, all morning I've been rolling around on the floor. That's the perk of a job. <laughs> um, we're here to talk well, specifically about one production, which I know is the second of its kind. You're putting on a collaboration between a bunch of artists, and that's coming up pretty soon. And is what you're doing today in preparation for that? It is, yeah. So um, it's like a dance platform. I know I say platform, and I assume everyone knows what I'm talking about, but they don't always know what I'm talking about. It basically means a night of different dance works by different choreographers. Uh, so that's called Women of Mass Destruction. But then as part of that platform, I'm presenting a piece of dance myself. So that's what I've been rehearsing today. And that's called um, That Bitch Grows. Cool. So we're going to unpack that, I think. Okay. And, and we're going to be talking about some other interesting ideas around shop fronts, which on the face of it seem to have nothing to do with this at all. But we could start perhaps with job titles and locations. And every time we have anybody remotely connected with the creative industries on the show, I say how would you like me to address you what's your job title and then they reel off a list as long as your arm of jobs and they seem very uncertain about it and we've just done the same thing <laughs> off mic what's this all about why is it so difficult for people in the creative sphere to pick themselves do you reckon uh, I think it's because there's not enough work and so people have to do lots of different jobs in order to keep <laughs> feeding themselves so um, they end up sort of well they, you know I think some people don't like to call themselves an artist because it sounds a little bit um, I don't know, pretentious, and, uh, or um, they don't like to define their work by any kind of discipline. So some people call themselves an artist, and some people call themselves a choreographer or a dancer, or you know, some people teach alongside dance work, and some people produce, like me. So uh, I'm a, I like to call myself a creative producer because I um, like to think I use my imagination as well as my organisational skills to help myself and other companies make shows happen so that's sort of my day job is as a producer and then also on for projects like this which are great opportunities I finally get a chance to also be a choreographer now and then for certain projects throughout the year and I get to do that 
uh, you know as when opportunities come up so it's it's you know you do different things to keep keep life interesting <laughs> keep paying the bills you know <laughs> oh you pay bills as well okay. i know i'm a proper grown-up i really, <laughs> really but clearly not an artist if you're able to do that <laughs> uh, well uh, it, t- it took a while but i finally got there i'm actually in a position where i can pay a bill or two which is amazing do you think that there's any kind i don't know this might be a shot in the dark really but do you think uh, where is somebody working in a more conventional job with a, a pay grade and a job title they know what they are um, in, in a very straightforward sense, you know, I am sales director, and the next step up from that would be whatever, and and this is the department that I belong to. I mean, it could be liberating in one way to have a little more uncertainty, even hour by hour, as to precisely what role you fill in any creative environment. But does that also cause instability in any respect? Well, I don't know. Each to their own, really. I've had proper jobs, if you want to call them that. I've had proper jobs even outside of the creative industries and... You know, where I remember I used to work for a newspaper a long time ago as a typist, and I used to type all the little job ads in the back of the newspaper. And I remember I went out of my mind with sheer stress and boredom at the same time. I don't know how that's possible, but it was. Um, and I've held, I've held all sorts of random jobs before, you know, being able to do this full time. And some people like the security of having a full time job with a salary and, you know, having, you know, being able to pay their mortgage and security of knowing they're going to be able to pay for all the things their kids need and their families need and that's wonderful and I'd love that security too but um, there's part of me that just always wants to be um, exploring and discovering new things through you know through dance work which is what this project is about but also through outdoor performance which is what I do the rest of the time and it's just impossible to deny you know I try to deny it but I can't even if I was working full-time somewhere I'd be doing all this stuff in the evenings and at the weekends which is what I used to do and it's just I've got to a stage in my life now where I'm fortunate enough to be able to do this stuff full-time and not have to do the other stuff and just about get by so that's that's really all it is I think yeah I'm hearing you very much there are <laughs> so many jobs that I've done in the past where on the first day and this isn't to suggest that on the first day you have all the expertise you'll ever need or anything nearly so arrogant as that but in the first day maybe first two days you've probably clocked about 80% of what you're ever going to experience in that job yes there have been some jobs like that Uh, I've had many many a fun time being a receptionist where I knew exactly what I was going to be doing forever in the first hour of the job there's been other jobs which have been not creative and I've been learning lots of things every day and they've been really diverse I suppose it just depends on the job and it depends on the organisation and it depends on the person you know some people really crave routine and they just love routine they love being able to like clock off at five or or even earlier if they're lucky and go home and not think about their job and there are other maniacs like me who just never stop working because you're just obsessed with doing more projects more work all the time you're constantly taking up opportunities um you know, it depends on what stage of your life you're at as well, I think. It has a lot to do with it. If, if you are in a proper job, listener, in the UK, um, you may not know that they've just brought in uh, mandatory flexi time. You, you're, there's new rules now. So if you want flexi time, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. But there are new rules that mean that your boss is going to have to listen to a reasonable request. I just thought I'd throw a bit of public service going on there. Uh, the, the place itself, Rich Mix... I think sort of fits in very nicely with the kind of ethos we're talking about here. Uh, I would say variety must be a key word in their, in their plan and their mission statement. And just glancing around the walls of the balcony area that we've got here, it's a real potpourri of artistic styles, lots of colour, lots of life. And I know the programming here matches that. Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak for the Rich Mix team because I don't work here, but I have had the privilege of being able to do lots of projects here over the last few years. And, I mean, diverse is definitely a word that I think it's probably the first word that comes up. I mean, that's where the name, the Rich, it's a rich mix of different arts, disciplines, performances. I mean, they do everything here from live music gigs. They've got three cinemas here. They've got exhibition space, live performance. And so, yeah, it's a real mix of different events and cultural activities and they have a really active community program as well doing lots of stuff in schools and other things like that so um yeah and the wonderful thing about that is it means that they're really um open to experimentation and um 
new ideas and uh, collaboration and, uh, and all those sorts of really fun, nice words that we like to throw around. I mean, they actually do them here, which is great. You, you, were, you were reeling them off like these are words that you've heard far too much of. <laughs> yeah, a few, a few times, you know, after a decade in arts management, you kind of hear the, the same old words again and again and again. But, you know, it's refreshing to actually... Well, I, a lot of places do that, but Rich Mix is definitely one of those places that does a lot, all of those things. Yeah, definitely. The last time we were here, and I wonder if the longer-term listener will remember this, we were interviewing an historian and a chap who photographs phone boxes. Um, I, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> There's no point I'm making. I'm just remembering for myself. I'm like an old fellow. Who, oh, I remember. I think we, we mentioned at the time that the cinemas here are kind of a well-kept secret. They, they seem to be promoting themselves a little better than they used to these days. And, and they've got kind of signs up outside saying what goes on inside and so forth. Um, but it's a really great place. And what you often find as well, I think, apart from the cafe, which I can't recommend highly enough, delicious food there, is there's always something going on. And I'm, I'm not being paid to promote this in any way. I just think it's a, it's a place that you've got to support if you're in this part of town. And one of the main reasons for coming to this part of town from far afield is Women of Mass Destruction. It's the second iteration of Women of Mass Destruction, part two, and you've got a slightly different theme this time, I think. Yeah, that's right. You hit the nail on the head. I mean... Um the first one, Women of Mass Destruction 1, happened in December 2012. Did you know it was Women of Mass Destruction 1 at that point? I, I did not. It was just, it was a, 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 it was a one-off. It was something I was going to try. I mean, thankfully, Rich Mix being lovely people allowed me to try this new idea for a dance platform. So there are lots of dance platforms out there for, for people to show new work, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, they had very kindly supported me in the development of a dance piece called binge because it was all about binge drinking and women in binge drinking and they'd they'd offered me this night where I could have you know shown just my own work and because I was dealing with a topic that was you know uh let's say quite hot potato I thought if I just showed my work it'd be banging a bit of a political drum just from my perspective and actually it would be more interesting for me as well as I think for audiences to see my work alongside the work of other people. Can, other... can I, I, I want you, I want to hear where you're going with this but I just wanted to apply the brakes very quickly yeah. when you say a political hot potato yeah. what, what do you mean? Well binge drinking yeah it's a very hot potato I remember when I was working on it at the time Anne Widdicombe was going around the country going to nightclubs with women and trying to sort of hang out with them as they were doing binge drinking and being interviewed on Radio 4 talking about what this terrible scourge of binge drinking with young women and you know there was it was it, you know there was a lot of um, there was a lot of press coverage about particularly high levels of binge drinking in young women at the time that I was working on this and it was just sort of almost coincidental because the reason I was making the piece is because I'm allergic to alcohol and I can't get drunk and I just thought it was a really interesting thing to try and make a piece about drinking from someone who can't get drunk that was what it was all about and then it became even more than that and talked about the broader sort of context of binge drinking but I didn't want it to come across as like oh you know this is a piece all about binge drinking and binge drinking is either really bad or really good or I'm making some sort of big comment it was actually just I was exploring it for personal reasons but it was potent and I just thought if I'm going to show this work I'd like to show some other work by perhaps some other female voices since it was quite gender focused and how about I open up the night to some other dance artists so it's not just my work and we show a few different bits of new work by exciting artists and we just put it all together and then we can have a really nice mixed evening bill of different dance work that's all about I don't want to say gender identity but you know the, the tagline for that one was destroying the female body and it was and so all the pieces were about you know alternative roles or archetypes or stereotypes about women and how you know just interesting it was to just chat like chat about that through or discuss that through dance and through choreography and see different perspectives on that and I just think it made it a more vibrant evening and it went really well you know it sold out and had lots of excellent feedback and so you know after that Rich Mick said well how about you come back and do another one but I, you know I didn't want to show the same work so I was like well this is a new piece that I'm working on which is all about there's lots of themes about nature in it so that's why this second one is called destroying mother earth because it's all about the relationship between women and nature and it's got a completely new set of artists except i'm in it as well this time unfortunately for audiences out there oh, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah there'll be a piece by me and then there's uh, three other dance artists so uh, Nina von der Werth, Constantina uh, Scaliante, uh, I should say it right, and uh, Heidi Seppeler. They're all going to be. Can I just congratulate you on. <laughs> 
what you've just achieved. There. Yeah, we're quite we're quite a mouthful, aren't we? We've got a bunch of yeah great names there. <laughs> was this your was this how you selected artists then? Just by finding people with more complicated surnames. <laughs> I wish I could say I'd been that imaginative. No, I put out an open call and I encouraged, I encouraged choreographers and dance artists to approach me with ideas, like expressions of interest, and I got quite a few applications. And then I just sort of considered them all, thought what would work well together, and you know, did a few interviews and stuff and chatted, and, and you know the best, the most suitable and best artists were selected to make up the program. So that's sort of how it came together. So this must be a slightly different experience. I'm sure you might have uh, been through an experience of uh, directing yourself previously, but but the dynamics must be different this time around if you're on stage and having to con- consider yourself there as well. Oh, well, I'm not on stage. Thank- thankfully for audiences, I am, me personally, I'm not. Performing. Oh, you're not in it? I'm not in it, no. I thought you just said you were in it. No, I'm chore. I'm chore. I mean, I'm in it in the platform as a choreographer, that's what, what I What were you in it as last time? We might have to cut all this. This makes no sense to me at the moment. <laughs> I was also not a performer last time. I was a choreographer last time, but... So it's exactly the same as last time, which, which I... <laughs> Which I think is exactly the the, uh, the direction my question was taking. Uh, this time around, it must seem uh, to be exactly the same as last time. It's not exactly the same as last time. No, it's a completely new dance piece. <laughs> and um, I've already got my head in two places because I produce the platform. So as a producer, I'm managing the whole platform and, you know, you have to do all that sort of administration stuff and sort all out the, all the technical things and all the promotion and, and, and all of that stuff. So I'm doing that all of the artists and then I'm also choreographing something that's in it so I think that's quite enough being torn in two directions I don't, I don't think we need to see me on stage at all for this <laughs> I'm not sure you're working hard enough personally <laughs> um, we could talk about the politics behind this so apart from the title being too delicious to resist it's just it's really really catchy it sounds as though it makes a lot of sense contextually the last time around with the kind of subjects you were talking about what about just using female artists this time around is that kind of an accidental follow-through it, you know what it's not i i actually want to put the expressions of interest out there i think i mean i was, I was totally open-minded to having um you know I was open-minded if male choreographers wanted to approach me and say I've got a piece about women and it's all about the perspectives on women I would have loved to talk to them about it but I think there you know this it is quite gender focused in that I don't think there are enough opportunities for female choreographers um perhaps you know some people might disagree with me on that but I think there's, there's a lot of female choreographers out there and it's very competitive and it's quite hard to stand out and make the most of opportunities as a female choreographer because it's just quite quite a lot of people out there and I, I think this is a platform that's that's really helpful in not only providing opportunities to talk about you know the way women are perceived through dance but also an opportunity for female choreographers to just create new work and get their work seen and to hopefully get a bit more promotion and notice so I guess that is very important for me but I don't want it to feel like I wouldn't consider a male choreographer if there are male choreographers out there that want to get in touch with me and they have a piece about about women that they think is quite you know quite potent and right for this platform then I'd love to talk to them definitely there's so much meat on the bone there Uh, it's difficult even to know quite where to begin I suppose something that I'm conscious of right across all sorts of different art forms and in in various places in the media is I hope I'm getting this right but it feels like more often than not when you hear women talking they're talking about women and that seems to be extremely important at the moment Uh, I I wonder why that's I don't remember that being quite so much the case you know even just a few years ago I wonder if you're perceiving that is there a, a sort of a, a tide uh, in operation here of some sort I don't know actually I, I to be honest I hadn't noticed that but that might be I don't know because my head is so focused on talking about women anyway um definitely you know in in the last 20 years there's been a, a massive change and uh, you know there's Oh, there's more talk about, let's say, gender identity. So it's not just about women, but it's about the, the differences between men and women and the differences between male and female voices and how they're different. And, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. But I think anything that allows artists to talk about themes and topics that are really potent to them and is, you know, excellent. And it just so happens that there are a lot of female choreographers out there that have something to say about gender identity that is really relevant to them and maybe it's because it ties into uh, you know uh thinking from previous eras or from previous times when you know 
oh well, perhaps women were perceived differently or men were perceived differently or we just perceived ourselves differently. But I think that the, if, if, uh, if my platform is helping to contribute towards uh, women being able to just talk about gender identity uh, generally, that's great. It's a, it's a discussion. It's not really a statement. It's all about let's talk about it. Mm. You know, mm. and I don't really want to make any sweeping statements. It's more like if we don't need to talk about it anymore, you know, that's, then, then, then we've reached somewhere. You know, we don't need to make a point of it anymore. So that would be great. So what sort of com- uh, topics for conversation would you like to see raised as a result of the, the kind of stuff you're doing or things, uh, things around that? Well, uh, with the first platform, I was really, I was really interested with this theme of destroying the female body because, uh, you know, especially in dance, there's a sort of um, look and feel to the image of the dancer's body, right? So, you know, very strong imagery around male dancers' bodies and very strong imagery around female dancers' bodies and the sort of perfection of how they move and the line and, the, you know, it's just... I can get into lots of sort of dancey stuff here. I'd rather not. But, um, you know, basically about how the body is perceived especially through dance there is a lot of expectations for how the body is supposed to move and how the body is supposed to be especially in contemporary dance and so I was interested in programming work that looked at the female body but really uh, going against the grain going against the norm of what is expected of the female body in contemporary dance so so, so are you talking about for example the expectation of a female dancer being to move gracefully and to, to act in ways that are kind of stereotyped yeah there's, a, there's certainly some expectations around grace and there's there's a lot of codified movement in contemporary dance you know um but is, is there really i would have expected that of ballet certainly but really in, in contemporary too well maybe i'm maybe my perception's a little bit skewed because i'm sort of in it but certainly if you work in if you work or even have any contact with contemporary dance you'll you'll there are certain uh choreographers from the last sort of century even that uh, artists follow and use their disciplines as Cunningham and Graham and Limone and all these other sort of choreographers that people follow and you do start to, you do see a lot of codified movement you see a lot of similar ways of the body just moving around space and using momentum and and it's very recognizable and there's lots of choreographers making incredible work using a lot of familiar <laughs> familiar movement shall we say um and i was really interested in programming work that went against the norm of what might be expected through contemporary dance i mean there's a lot of experimentation out there as well don't get me wrong i mean there's a lot of you know contemporary dance that really pushes the boundaries and goes into sort of live art areas and has lots of what we call like pedestrian gesture and movement which is like stuff you just do every day around your house you know like normal gestures that's that's all old hat that's been going on for, for decades but nonetheless when you watch contemporary dance there is a lot there's a lot that you recognize and there's a lot that comes up again and again of the way people are moving and i was interested in looking at what was expected of the female body and how it was supposed to behave or how it's supposed to be perceived and and just messing around with that you know in whatever way the choreographers wanted to so I sort of had in my piece binge I had the girls sort of in high heels falling over and getting up and falling over again and rolling around on the floor and chucking glasses at people filled with drinks and I mean that's that's not necessarily new either but it was just what you I was kept trying to sort of break the expectations of what people thought was going to happen by doing something different and you know we had the audience moving between two spaces and having uh, dancers dragging people from space to space, getting them up to have a boogie at one point, completely unexpectedly. And, you know, that's what I hope with this platform too, is that we have some work that, you you know, you think you know what's going to happen and then it goes in a direction that you couldn't have anticipated and you perhaps get to see things from a new perspective that you might not have seen before. That's absolutely fascinating. I've realised that what because I'm of course thinking in words, doing what I do, and I, I couldn't help bringing to mind the word ladylike, with with all its awful connotations. And, and what you're talking about here is exactly deconstructing that, or dis, dismantling, I should say that. So the the destruction of women. Actually, I imagine that it was something that you were portraying women destroying themselves in some way. But actually, you're seeking to destroy as well ideas about what it is to be woman. Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely the case with the first platform. That was what it was all about. And with this one now, which is women versus nature, I mean, there's you know, there's so much that needs to be done. There's so much urgency around climate change and the 
you know the future of our planet i mean again uh you know not to get too impassioned about it but there's 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 all this sort of urgency to do something about the destruction of our world right so it's now about women versus nature and like how through dance all of these pieces are, have some sort of connection to not just women destroying but just human beings destroying the natural world and what do we say about that from different perspectives so um you know my piece that which grows is all about um burying secrets in the ground so having uh, something that you can't talk to someone about is so bad that you you can't tell anyone so you dig a hole in the ground you bury it in the ground you plant it there and how that's poisoning like nature and how nature grows up in response to that so there's something really interesting about human interaction with nature and humans putting all their bad stuff <laughs> on on the natural world and the you know nina von der Werth's piece is all about the lack of fresh water supplies in the world and um you know she's doing a really interesting piece with using a lot of water actually with girls performing in a paddling pool and you know Constantina's piece is all about the female body image again uh, it's called Beautiful and Heidi's piece is all about the connection between human beings and how that's sort of being destroyed through the uh, arrival of mobile technology and how we can connect back to the natural world so I mean it's quite a diverse mix of different approaches to the same theme but it's all discussing you know stuff that's really potent and really urgent about how we respond to the natural world as opposed to how we respond to our bodies this time around mm. Mm. and you called uh, you called earth mother earth the first time you mentioned it <laughs> well i did it was a good it just it felt like the right subtitle if you know what i mean it was uh, and it was uh, yeah it was linking back to the the um, platform again and the gender identity thing again so there's something there with gender identities in mind you often think of sort of heavy industry and the kind of things that destroy the environment as being quintessentially male you know big muscular fellows with hats on uh, drilling things and all that freudian stuff and then uh, and then the mother earth is this very very sort of natural i wonder if that if that's a sort of um, a slightly simplified it seems to be knocking on the door of mythology who's the roman god of nature and, uh, and loveliness was it diana or someone like that uh, not sure oh I, I i part of me wants to say uh dionys no dionysus what was that called dionysus dionysus are we sure about this i'm, I'm not sure about it. i'm definitely not the right person to ask I think it was or was it clive <laughs> it was in a, definitely athena somewhere that was the goddess of love i know that one <laughs> yeah we didn't do the classics did we <laughs> Or if you did, you should be ashamed of yourself. I am ashamed of myself. I took ancient Greek, so I'm really ashamed of myself. <laughs> good work. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I can't help you with that. But uh, I think it's a really good point you make about, well, I mean... Do you really? No, no, about the masculine thing, about in, like industry being quite masculine-focused. I mean, I suppose you, know, you can't get away from that truth. It, it, it has been, and I don't know whether it will remain that way. But certainly, in terms of destruction of natural environment, we're all to blame for that. It's got nothing to do with just men or just women. I mean, and that's why I think it's quite refreshing to see about how women... Oh, you know, not uh, banging on the gender drum again, but basically about how women play a part in that too, and what's the relationship between... OK, so if women are supposed to be all natural and really connected to the earth, then why why are we not doing more about it you know like why are we not doing more because so much more needs to be done and it's just a terrifying frightening future ahead and um so you know why not talk about you know the relationship between women and nature and it's not all this lovely bed of roses where women are really in tune with nature and taking care of it because that's not what's you know that a humankind isn't taking care of it Oh, I, I suppose moving away from the gender thing as well. Now, is this, <laughs> this feels like it should be more controversial, but it probably isn't. Nature isn't inherently good either, is it? Oh, I, I can't answer that because that's a far too deep a question. I can't answer. Well, no, I'm, 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 I'm entirely serious though. I mean, we, we, when we think of nature, we protect the environment. Man, we think of like uh, green fields and, and fluffy bunny rabbits, but nature is also uh, kind of crocodiles and cancer and all sorts of other things. Well, we're all part of the natural environment and the natural world, and it's um... speak for yourself. <laughs> It's a wild and visceral place, and uh, you got to—it's like power tools. You got to pay it its due respect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't be uh, irresponsible with it, you know. And I think it's this ridiculous perception that we have as 
you know, human beings, that we can control everything, you know, and that everything is a slave to us and our way of living and working. It just totally isn't. We're all captured in our little bubbles most of the time, in our little routines that we think we can control everything. And actually, there's a big old world out there that we have no control over whatsoever. And I think we're losing touch with it as well. We're losing touch with what effect we're having on it as well. Yes, we've got big-headed as a species, haven't we? I, I think that's fair to say. I, I think. think we've forgotten that atrophy is the natural state of the universe Uh, it definitely is definitely i've always wanted to finish the first half of the show like that we'll be back after a break and i think we might be talking about the limitations of the human body and particularly the dancer's body fancy learning icelandic how about ballet biscuit decorating or battlefield guiding or are you more of a creative writer balcony gardener beer taster whoever you are and whatever you want to be City Lit has a course for you this summer. There are over 1,000 courses available in London this July and August. So pick a one-day class or workshop, a two-hour talk or walk, an afternoon's introduction to a subject or a four-week slice of study. The Purpose Built Centre is conveniently based in Covent Garden, but many courses take place out and about on London streets and in its galleries and museums. Prices start from as little as £15, so visit www citylit.ac.uk and click through to summer courses to find out more about what you can learn this summer. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolf. I'm at Rich Mix and with me Lydia Fraser Ward, choreographer, creative producer, ex-typist. The list goes on. Sometimes performer, possibly. You mentioned some names before break, and they were sort of knocking about in the back of my head. Infamous, they're very well-known, respected choreographers from the last sort of 50 years. You know, you've got Merce Cunningham, who's a very clear style, Martha Graham, anyone who does contemporary dance knows Mm. knows these names. And they they have their own way of, you know, they have a very uh, identifiable style. And, uh, you know, uh, when you go to train in dance dance school um, you learn these different styles and you learn different approaches and then you usually develop your own choreographic voice based on well known other well known choreographers that have you know created their own choreographic voice mm. from their own previous in- people who've inspired them so there's you know there's a lot of contemporary choreographers that have very clear identifiable style or you know they say choreographic voice which then you know other younger choreographers tend to use uh, I wouldn't say imitate but they use for inspiration and then shape their own style and I think um, you're going to tell me if I'm wrong but I think that the Sun King in France was responsible for laying down some of the basics of ballet I think I'm right in saying Louis the 14th um, and I, th- I think that set me wondering how many of the people who've been influential in uh, sort of creating some of these languages have been men and, and those who are female were female uh, are they more sympathetic to the way a, a woman's body moves for example if you're following for example Martha Graham yeah does she get how a woman moves in a particular way? Is she more sympathetic to the realities of movement? Is she harder on female dancers who follow her technique? Well, she was a long time ago, so um, it's more about choreographers that use her style these days, how they respond to her style on people's bodies. But I mean, uh, oh, so she's an ancient language, and nobody's speaking her anymore. <laughs> she's she's modern dance as opposed to postmodern dance, which is sort of what we're in now. But I mean. Um, uh, it, it, it's funny, you know. There are um, there are types of disciplines, like for example, let's go there and say ballet, which is you know highly disciplined. There's one way of doing this particular movement. There's one way of having you know your feet in this position, and that's the way to do it. You either do it right or you do it wrong. And then contemporary dance is more about sort of using that. A secure foundation and language to be able to break the rules a little bit. So, what if I do this like this instead, which isn't exactly how I've been taught? Or what if I go around backwards, or go around, you know, what if I do a contraction instead of an expansion and do it the other way around? You know, and that's what all the exploration is about. Now, there are, you know, there are choreographers. I don't. I, I'm so not an expert, so I shouldn't really be talking about what I don't know. But you know, um, Steve Paxton did things. Uh, 
I think in the 60s where he had women lifting men you know and that was like some really big thing you know women lifting men you know I'm going to do that um, and there are choreographers that do sp- like pay special attention to the difference between male and female bodies but um, you know these days I think it's fair to say that a lot of choreographers these days actually are less about coming into the studio with like a set of uh, you know movements already worked out and a sequence and teaching it to people and it's often like through improvisation and experimentation and allowing the dancers to play around with ideas that come naturally from the way their own unique body moves which is where a lot of the choreography and movement comes from. So actually, movement becomes less about the male body and female body, and more about the way Mm. each dancer uniquely understands that choreography and the way their body does it, and and sort of playing on that. So you've got a dancer who's super tall. You know, how does a really, really tall person do a movement that a really, really short dancer would do? And how is it interesting to see how their body responds to the choreography? And I think um, artists who are sort of building on that and using it as a strength as opposed to trying to fight it are coming up with far more exciting and interesting work these days definitely so with any art form there are waves and fashions and the emphasis in the art form falls upon a particular place like if i was i guess if i was thinking about literature and the the english renaissance and it's all about tightly controlled form and uh, a little while later maybe it's more about drama and, and satire and what's happening at the moment is it possible to say where the where this sort of innovation is or where the emphasis um, or the emphases might be in dance uh, that's a really good question i don't feel qualified to answer um there's, there's well, can, can I speak to your manager, please? Please speak to my manager. I wish I had one. Um, there's just a mix of things going on. It would be hard to say that there was one particular trend or one particular you know, style of doing things. I think it's quite hard to reflect on the way things are when it's happening in your con- you know, contemporary time. It's sort of when you look back 10 years later, you go, oh, yeah, I suddenly see all these trends that were happening. When you're in it, you sort of don't really <laughs> realise what you're doing. You just sort of do what you do. I mean, there are, you know, choreographers who are, you know, really, really popular at the moment and everyone just raves about them and, you know, internationally recognised artists like Hoffesh and you know Deviate and all these amazing amazing companies that you know will always come up with great work and you really respect it and so you could say that it's you know artists like that that are creating trends because they're just making work that's so exciting and so so popular that it's naturally drip feeding down to everybody else but then you still have a contingent of people that will will go against that and will rebel against whatever becomes mainstream and tries to do something oppositional to that so I don't know I mean I can't say that there's a very clear trend I can say that there's perhaps a bit more appetite these days for from audiences to watch more experimental dance uh, that, uh, yeah people might disagree with that but I think it, there's so much more blurring in the lines you know in in the boundaries between dance and theatre and live art and site-specific performance you know Punch Drunk have done a really good job of making site-specific performance very popular and in in the public realm where a lot of people know what that is now you know 10-15 years ago most people didn't know what a site-specific performance was and now it's sort of commonplace but even though people have been doing it for years it's that it takes a handful of companies like them and Shunt and a few others to really you know suddenly everyone knows about it which is really exciting and I think it's the same with dance it's like there's 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 uh there are choreographers who are incredibly popular and uh incredibly talented who are trying such exciting experimental ideas and it's not getting shoved down in some tiny little studio that nobody goes to or just a handful of real dance geeks go and see it's like this stuff is getting into the mainstream and you've got audiences watching really quite radical exciting new work and that that's that feels great that feels really good if it's being part of something as well i was thinking of dear old secret cinema who often incorporate dance work into their stuff and as a punter if you sort of happen upon it by accident it just gives you that foothold and it makes it a little bit more approachable definitely i mean secret cinema has done a, a great deal for uh getting people just to watch film let alone getting people used to seeing seeing live performance in an unusual place um so yeah they they've been you know a really key player in that too definitely 
So a moment ago you claimed uh, not to know what you're doing, and I don't know whether that's a sort of a general uh, medical complaint that you have or if this is, uh, if you're talking more about the zeitgeist and what it might be, but in terms of your practice here, I know what the conversations are that you're thinking about in terms of the platform overall, the piece in particular, but what about your technique when it comes to directing dancers in how they work? What's your particular method? I think I'm quite unusual actually in that I come from a theatre background so I'm a bit of a charlatan really it took took many many years for me to be accepted within the dance world as a you know professional choreographer because I hadn't had the conventional training that almost all choreographers have had so my training was in European theatre styles so it was like uh, these uh, I don't know if people know these names but like Grotowski and Cantor and Lecoq these were all sort of um European theatre practitioners in the 60s, 70s, 80s who were doing work that was very physical and um, very movement-based. And even, you know, Lecoq stuff's all based on mime and then it gets really expressive from that. So all of my training was in, yeah, let's say movement theatre, sort of physical theatre is a dangerous term to use because uh, it, it's perceived in a different way as, more, uh, uh, as dance, really. But it was very physically-based theatre. And then after training in that I then you know I had done sort of lots of dance as a, a child and as a teenager but I picked it up again as a student and I uh, was taking contemporary training alongside my theatre training so my approach is quite theatrical in, in a way actually that um, you know character narrative is all really impo- important to me and dancers really using their face and facial expressions is like a key part of what I do oh I'm so relieved to hear you say this <laughs> There's nothing... Uh, no, there are lots of things worse. That's a very lazily used expression. But it's quite unnerving, to be honest, when you've got this wonderful movement going on of whatever type and either the completely blank expression, like they're not, they're not there, you know, there's no soul in the body, or worse than that, the, uh, the fixed grin. Yeah, I know. Uh, maybe it's because they're concentrating really hard on getting the movement perfect. But for me, like if their face isn't working, then they're, they're leaving out half the choreography. So there's always a sort of set series of facial sequences like throughout the piece that are just as important as all the rest of what their body's doing sometimes more important and actually most of my choreography is really based on like gesture like I was talking about pedestrian gesture it's like everyday movement so try to find stuff that you recognize from like your normal daily life and choreograph it in such a way that you think you recognize it and then suddenly it becomes quite abstract and quite expressive like it gets really big or really fast or really repetitive or it becomes quite fractured so that you don't recognize it anymore and when I try to describe my work to people the only way I can explain it is it's like trying to make uh, familiar things you know unfamiliar you know like making the familiar unfamiliar and the unfamiliar familiar does that make sense it's a really mouthful but it's about sort of the surrealism of taking things out of their normal context and and turning them on their head and making them a bit strange, then bringing them back again. And you're like, what have I just watched? I don't really know what I'm... Uh, this, I thought I knew what was going on, and now I'm not quite sure. And that sort of challenges what you think you know. Yes, I have the same experience where... Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm about to reveal that uh, I've got psychological problems, uh, <laughs> if it weren't already evident. But sometimes I find myself just repeating the same word over and over again in my head to, to see what happens if you say it enough times. And it, the simplest word suddenly makes no sense at all. It's, it's like a... You know, process of defamiliarization as you as you mentioned i don't know if you've just given us a perfect link or not into something else that you're involved with about which i know very little except that it involves taking over streets and changing them into something else which sounds like an unusual pastime yeah well it is i mean um this is my other job this is like my day job is um i run a company called fantasy high street we've been operating for about a year now and um my background as a producer was making site-specific performance so I know about all the punch drunk and chunt stuff because I've been doing it forever it's what I always did and I became a producer that specialized in helping performances and arts events happen in the most unusual places so it might be in a toilet on a rooftop in you know in a museum foyer in the street you know down a hole you know like anywhere how many of those were true uh, all of them except down a hole, except some of you know some of the places I've been have been as good as a hole, basically. <laughs> but all of them, yeah, gardens and stately homes and parks and you know, all of all of everywhere you see, everywhere around you is a potential performance space. And I was 
motivated after leaving uni to focus on taking work outside of theatre spaces so I was excited about the fact that performance could take place anywhere and so yeah I specialised in becoming a producer in site specific work and after the riots happened in 2011 I was sort of sitting there watching the TV thinking why are these people tearing up their own high streets why aren't they like going to Kensington or Chelsea or you know ripping up all the really fancy places they're just going around the corner and ripping up their own neighbourhood for I don't know a pair of jeans or something Hang on, I think we might need a disclaimer here it is not the position of a Londonist or a Londonist out loud that you do what she just said no absolutely not I do not encourage or condone that but when I was watching the television I was thinking what on earth could motivate people to do this like what you know and there were lots of there's lots of discussion about that and I won't go into all of that but as a producer who had spent the last few years making cultural events and arts events in outdoor spaces I was thinking surely there's something I can do that isn't only you know putting on these events maybe I can Uh, focus my energy and time on doing events specifically in high street spaces and shop spaces so that it engages local communities with their high streets in a positive way so it's as simple as that I was I was really interested in what could possibly motivate people to not be connected with their town centre in a positive way and how cultural events could help that so fancy high street is all about doing new like unusual arts events in high street spaces and shop spaces. Now, I've only got a very theoretical understanding of this at the moment. What Could, could you give a, an example of what you've done? Uh, yes. I just finished a project last week. Actually, this isn't in the high street. This was in the local park, but it was called A Magical Sprite Village, which we did for Crystal Palace <laughs> Overground Festival. So what we made were these tiny miniature houses on this little part of Crystal Palace Park. And each house was inhabited by a sprite, a magical fairy sprite. And, you know, one was a tailor and one was a baker and one was a bookseller. And each house related to a different business on the local high street, the Triangle in Crystal Palace. So you had kids running around with adventure maps and these special little keys. And they followed clues to work out who worked in which house. And then they'd wind them up with their special key and they'd see this little sprite moving inside and um, and it made them think about the role that each played in their community and the importance of why they were there and they'd have a favourite and they could write to them and they could think about what they did and that was a very kind of light touch approach to, to doing a fun, playful, imaginative, family friendly project which got people thinking about the importance of their street. So it's not like, oh, here, we're going to sit and, and make some big statement about how you should go and buy stuff in this shop or go and buy stuff in that shop. It was more about just thinking about the role that these businesses and the people that run them, you know, these are real people, real families that run these businesses, the important role that they play in the community. So actually another exercise in defamiliarisation and another important platform as well because I know that sprites are very underrepresented in the creative industries. You know, they're quite frightened of human beings so, you know, they're constantly, you know, be hiding away and in seclusion. So, yeah, that's important to give them the due platform that they need, you know. I've noticed that a, an audience is gathering. I mean, it's a bit lacklustre. It, it looks more like people on their lunch break rather than uh, people who've sort of deliberately tried to attend something. But I get the feeling that we might have music coming on i think rehearsals are going to be beginning uh, below us shortly what we haven't said so far i think is when all this stuff is happening oh well women of mass destruction is happening on friday the 11th of july so very soon so do book your tickets in advance because like i said last time we sold out and had to turn away a lot of people at the door so if you want to come get on the rich mix website which is just www richmix.org.uk and book your tickets or you can even uh, call the box office I have a box office phone number here let me get it for you it is 0207 613 7498 and you can book your tickets there are still some available and it starts at 7.30 on the 11th of July and that's a rich mix which is extraordinarily easy to get to and a good place to be I think increasingly one thing that you mentioned that I didn't pick you up on was the fact and I don't know if you're planning to do the same thing again this time I reckon you will be of having several different spaces within rich mix performances going on each but then this very interesting way of moving the audience from one to the other and maybe it's worth developing that a little bit yes uh, that you are right that is exactly what's happening we're we're performing across two different spaces venue one 
kind of venue too. And uh, what Nina is doing with her piece is creating a durational performance which moves the audience from one to the other. So she'll be interacting with audiences and moving them from place to place through her choreography. So it's very exciting, very playful, very fun evening. So yes, should be lots of lots of fun, lots of laughs, and also lots to think about. I want to say something facetious, like come and be moved by Nina. But I'm just worried she might be bigger than me, and uh, that's probably not wise. Well, I think we're just going to tie it off before I can see uh, dancers emerging from tracksuits, which is the usual sign that rehearsals are about to recommence. We could quickly mention your own website. Yes, yeah, if you want to find out more about me, I have a website which is just lydiafraserward.com, really easy to find, or you can do .co.uk and you'll still find me. There's only one me, my name. Um, so there's information on there about... A sudden flash of arrogance at the <laughs> I know, I've looked into it, there's no one else in my name, it's great. Um, so, um, yeah, no, you can find out more about my dance work and about my producing work on there. And if you are interested in the high street stuff, then... Um, uh, Fancy High Street is just uh, fancyhighstreet.org.uk and you can see some of the recent projects we've been doing we're going to be running three events in Nunhead uh, throughout August and September and we'll be doing some stuff in London Bridge soon as well so lots to look out for and finally and I know you're not going to be thinking about this right? well, I don't know, you seem, no I think you might be on the, on, the, on the ball with this what's Women of Mass Destruction 3 going to be about? Oh, that's such a good question. I do know if I if I get invited back to do another one by Rich Mix, then it's all going to be about connections between people. Uh, you know uh, how yeah people are connected to one another and destroying those connections. All about the destruction. Okay. <laughs> well, Lydia Fraser Wood, thanks very much. Thank you. It's been brilliant. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Lydia Fraser-Ward. Thanks too to Ruth Hargreaves and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.